today is Friday, September 24th, 2021. It's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. Men are disturbed not by things, but by the view which they take of them. Epictetus. You're listening to episode 261, Healthy Mind, Healthy Aging, with Dr. Joseph Kashiani. It's like getting knocked down on the mat and you're in a boxing ring and you got to get up off the mat. You just mm. got to get up because you can say I'm done or I'm, you know, this is a failure, but that's just a mental thing, whatever, however we explain it. Failure is a mental thing. It's that tenacity that that's really essential and it's getting up off the mat. We might be bruised and might have some, you know, black eye, but we get back in the ring. This is the Dance of Life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Dance of Life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and I am your host as always. Thanks so much for being here on another Friday with me. I love spending my Fridays with you and sharing just another golden nugget that really made a difference in my life today. I'm so happy to have such wonderful guests on the show, so many brilliant people, and to be able to share these conversations with you. Today, my guest is Dr. Joe Casciani. He's a psychologist who has worked with seniors for nearly 40 years and gives presentations to senior groups, hosts his own podcast, and is the owner and chief curator for the Living to 100 Club. The club focuses on successful aging and making it over the hurdles, hurdles that we inevitably face on our lifelong journey. The perspective that Dr. Joe brings has a fresh and inspiring impact on audiences as we hear more about the ingredients to living longer, managing depression, starting new chapters, and creating a positive mindset about aging. If you want to learn more, go to livingto100, that's the number 100, dot club. And I'll put a link for this on the show notes. Again, it's episode 261. Excited to have Dr. Joe on the show today. We're going to be talking about healthy aging and what he's learned from his vast career on the topic, as well as, you know, what you can do, no matter what age you are, to live as long and healthy of a life as possible. That's what it all is about. And today we're especially going to be focusing on the mind and the internal, because that is where it all starts, is in the mind. Excited to jump into this with you today, but make sure you subscribe, hit that share button, like, review, whatever it is you feel like doing, and I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Let's do this. Episode 261, Healthy Mind, Healthy Aging, with Dr. Joseph Kashiani.
All right, Dr. Joe. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy to have you. I mean, uh, we were just talking a little bit earlier and I was on your show as well, you know, about aging and healthy aging and healthy mindset, um, combating, you know, we're gonna be talking a little bit about combating, you know, the, the mental aspects of aging too, which I'm really excited about. I haven't had too many people on the show talk about that. So uh, welcome. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy. Well, thanks. Thanks, Stuart. Are. Glad to be here. Glad to uh, talk more about this. I think, you know, uh, they say everybody is aging, so we got to talk about it. <laughs> well, it is the, it is, you know, I read this book, um, gosh, what's it called? Um, I'm totally missing the name right now, but it's uh, by a very famous scientist that I, I also can't think of his name. It's like aging and how to stop it or something like that or Anyway, but oh. uh, he t- talks about aging is basically the the disease. Like that is the disease that everything else comes from. Is you know how do we treat this uh, condition that we all have? You know, basically, and what are the different ways that we can offset aging so we can live a, a long health span? Right? Because it's all about health span. That's really what it is. It's not about extending life. It's about yeah having a health span. It is. You know, aging. Uh, we're all. You know, it's a developmental process. It's a normal process. And sometimes it gets, you know, we get hit with some disease, you know, or some medical event and it takes our years away. But generally, um, you know, we can live easily to 100 if we stay healthy. And you know, again, it's not in the cards for everybody. And I'm not saying it is, but, um, you know, it's a normal developmental process. You know, the hair gets gray. We, we lose our vision. We lose our hearing. You know, we get some wrinkles on our face, our muscles kind of decline, you know, balance, stamina, but um, we can stay healthy and stay free of a lot of these chronic conditions and really live longer. So, you know, you know when aging, you know, some people say aging is, uh, I had somebody on uh, my podcast last week who has written a science fiction book about stopping aging, reversing aging. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it sounds great, but there's a lot of drawbacks when everybody keeps, you know, staying alive. And, you know, yeah, for, it is. for ourselves. Yeah, he said, if I if, if I knew I was going to live forever, I, I certainly wouldn't have written this book, at least not now. So we, you know, we would put things off and probably not get very much done if we knew we were <laughs> living definitely. So, yeah. <clears throat> that, is, that is a really fundamental. Oh, go ahead. Oh, Sorry. go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, that is a fundamental question. I mean, really, it's, uh, I love thinking about that kind of stuff is what would it mean, you know, because I'm, I'm into biohacking, I'm into figuring out, okay, how can I live as healthy as possible, as long as possible? And presumably, you know, we're, we're entering a phase now in our development as a species where we're really pushing the envelope. I mean, uh, you know, we're really discovering a lot of things. And so the ultimate question is, what happens if, you know, people do live to be, let's say 150, you know, and they're, they're living long, even just, let's say you add another 20, 30 years to the average lifespan of the human being. I mean, that to me is very uh, profound, very interesting because how would that change society? You know, how would that change? I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily, but there certainly would be repercussions and we would have, uh, it would be very interesting to me, I think. Yeah, yeah, We would definitely have a lot of questions to ask ourselves. Definitely repercussions. I mean, we're not prepared for that. We'd be overrun with population. But that's not to say we couldn't prepare. You know, maybe there are things we could do to accommodate more people and, you know, living another 50 years. You know, it raises the question of children. Should we 
you know, keep having children if we're living that long. And children would be, you know, kind of um, kind of scarce and, you know, some valuable commodities instead of, you know, everybody having children because it's be a different world. But that, you know, I think that's far off. You know, that's not going to happen, at least not in our lifetimes. So, uh, but we, we will be living longer for sure. For sure. And there are things that we can do to live longer, as you say. Yeah. What do you think are some of the biggest uh, causes of aging? Let's put it that way. Causes, you mean um, the negative side of it? Yeah, yeah, like contributors, I would guess. You know, obviously we all age and there are certain biological mechanisms that, uh, you know, that we have yet to figure out how to slow down or stop, obviously. But, um, you know, what are some of the things from your experience that are really, uh, I would say, focus areas that people should look at? that really just age you faster than you should be aging. Let's put it that way. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm a psychologist. So for me, a lot of it has to do with our attitudes and our thinking about it. Um, you know, what's our outlook and how do we explain events that happen to us? Uh, you know, yeah. if we, uh, let's say we fall, maybe we're walking off a curb and we trip and, and you know, break our hip and that, that kind of reaction. Well, how do I, how do I understand this new event? How do I explain this medical setback? And that's going to impact a lot about how well we age. You know, it's is it like, oh, gee, I'm, um, you know, I'm not going to function very well as I get older. I might as well throw my hands up and just kind of give up and drift along. And that's that's uh, that's an unproductive. It's, you know, it it, it really doesn't help with that kind of thinking because we're always going to hit obstacles. I, you know, I wrote a book about that. And it's a matter of how well do we get over these obstacles? How well do we get around them? How well do we, you know, find a way to manage them and cope with them? So that to me is that that's, that's kind of like premature aging when we, we take these events and let them kind of affect us in a negative way like just another a long series of setbacks and i don't think i'm going to be able to handle that you know that kind of negative outlook and it's it really uh it, it's really a heavy weight to carry because you know we're certainly seeing a lot of very positive uh developments we're seeing people live much longer have um, you know much more vibrant lives? Are accomplishing things in their 70s and 80s and 90s, and you know you get the exceptions where people are into their their century and over, and those are called the super agers, right? I mean they're still doing as well as they were 30 years earlier. But I think we're we're seeing a lot more kind of productive years and people who are you know in their 70s and 80s and 90s, and we never saw that before. We never saw. It. I, I work with nursing home yeah. patients my whole career. And I would see people in their fifties and sixties come into a nursing home and they were just kind of, you know, their bodies were weak and frail and, you know, ridden with diabetes and cardiac, um, you know, conditions. So I, I think we're seeing, I mean, that was a small sample of the population. I mean, that's not representative of seniors. That's only 5% of the senior population, but what I saw was, you know, it's, it's kind of dark. You know, you see that yeah. those people, they, you know, a lot of medical conditions and multiple medications and, you know, 
seeing four or five specialists for <laughs> different medical problems. So um, that was, you know, 30 plus years working with that population. I could see that, yeah, that's one road, but there are other roads we can go down also as we get older. Yeah. You know, and it's so important too, because uh, I think the mental aspect, I was looking into, you know, for example, like the impact of a diagnosis or like for cancer, right? Like that's a very specific disease. It's very, uh, unfortunately getting more and more common, but uh, you know, it, it, there's some statistics about how, how the person takes their diagnosis uh, oftentimes will, will heavily impact whether they actually make it through or not, you know, depending on uh, obviously other factors too, but most of the time there's been so many cases where, people have had, you know, a diagnosis that were by no means, you know, something that they couldn't beat. And then they didn't beat it because they thought they were going to die. And they kind of gave up, like you said, they throw their hands up in the air and just said, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, and vice versa, you know, they've gotten diagnosis where they get, uh, you know, something that's like, oh, you got, you know, <laughs> three weeks to live or something and they end up pulling through, you know, yeah. so it's really fascinating. The impact. I'm sure it's the same way with aging too. And, you know, if you start to think to yourself that, oh, you know, I'm just old, I'm limited, I'm, you know, this, I'm that, I'm that. And then, uh, you know, you start to, your body starts to sort of, I don't know, pick up on that information, you know, on those cues that you're giving yourself. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. There's the saying, what we think about, we bring about. And yeah. if we're thinking this is a, you know, a terrible condition and, or, you know, maybe, uh, maybe a stroke, uh, you know, somebody loses their ability to walk or maybe uh, they can't speak as well. So they, how do, how do they interpret that, that kind of medical event? And is it, you know, is it the end or is it just something to, you know, find my way around and, and cope with it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I, I, I'm not to, saying it's our attitude is going to cure everything, but right. it does make a difference in how well we cope with it. You know, I, I've, I've known a lot of uh, people with cancer, as you mentioned that, you know, there's been a lot written about if you really strongly believe you can cure yourself and that's not fair because it's not true. And, you know, maybe some people have cured themselves, but to believe that if you're not, working hard enough here, you, you know, you're not going to get better. That's not fair. That's putting, putting a heavy burden on the, on the person. Uh, now, I, yeah. I talked with a woman who was on my show last month, and she had ovarian cancer, and she had to go through chemo, and she knew um, she wanted to fight it. And she researched it and read a lot about she was a nutritionist, so she was very interested in diet and what kind of foods contribute to the advancement of cancer and what kind of foods kind of fight it. And she, you know, she wrote um, a very good book kind of summarizing all the research and how certain diets can really fight the cancer. And it's, uh, it puts up a good fight. And uh, she was able to, you know, put her condition on hold. And, um, you know, she's written wow. about it and, you know, it's, I think it's beautiful stuff, you know, when we can learn and you know, there is some, there is some real research about diet and cancer. And it was started in the thirties in Germany and uh, it just kind of got, it didn't get the, the support and, you know, 
encouragement from the profession, but um, it's still out there. And, you know, she said, wow, what happened to all of this great research? And, you know, maybe it's getting some uh, more looks, but it's the whole keto diet and how that makes a difference for fighting cancer. So, you know, what do we do with it? You yeah, know, we get these excess things. carbs are terrible for this stuff. Yeah, yeah. How do we, uh, yeah. how do we explain it? We get emotional or we look for solutions. Yeah, and I, I would say that's the frame for a successful life. You know, ultimately, I, you know, I think that uh, managing stress, that's another big killer, right, is is our response to stress. I mean, obviously, you should have a good diet. You should, you know, look into, obviously, uh, if, if there's certain nutritional deficiencies. And you know, I'm always a big believer in that. But at the same time, I think that if we can't manage our stress and, uh, you know, develop a habit of appreciation, develop that mindset of seeking purpose and finding goals and, and being able to connect with people authentically and communicate all these things that are really uh, essentially a function of the mind. They're internal, right? I think all yeah. those things are so fundamental for health. I mean, we, we've talked before you and I even about the impact of having a sense of purpose and also those social connections. I mean, those two are the two most important things ahead of diet and exercise. Yeah. Um, not to diminish diet and exercise, but those two are even more important in terms of long-term aging and the impacts of aging. So, you know, I think that's super important. Yeah, yeah, definitely purpose and, um, you know, staying fit and, you know, a good diet. Now, I'm reading, um, I'm writing my newsletter for May about flourishing in our, you know, senior years and what else is research telling us? And we always have heard about, you know, um, gratitude and recognizing our strengths and acts of kindness and a, a lot of those good ingredients. But this author was writing about um, imagining your uh, your ideal self, kind of describing that, writing it out, imagining what you're, you know, 10 years later or 20 years later and kind of envisioning what you would be like if you reached all of your goals. And that you write that out today, and that's going to give you kind of the roadmap to consciously or subconsciously to going after that, you know, down that road. Hmm. So it's that it's kind of the visualization. What do I, what do I look like when I'm content and successful? And being able to imagine our ideal self is the first step to reaching it, you know, going after it. I love that. You know, that to me is... How do you... How do you yeah, I, I've heard of that one too, actually. Uh, I was at a at a motivational event and somebody was talking about exactly that type of exercise, but they did it every morning. They would do like a, you know, like a little visualization every morning and mm. sort of imagining themselves, you know, that mm. future self and yeah. uh, they're hugging themselves, you know. So yeah, definitely. I, I think it's a... You have to start with the imagination. You have to start with what you can see. But my question was, you know, for somebody that is, I think this is unfortunately, again, a common thing, but, you know, people that retire, especially, um, you know, and they kind of stop that whole routine. I mean, your, your life, if you're working and you retire, your whole life was centered around, you know, a particular routine that involved work. Mm -hmm. You know, as soon as work gets taken out of the equation, a lot of things start yeah. to fall out by the wayside. You know, one of them being this sense of purpose and seeing the future and seeing your goals. And, you know, how do you, you know, how, what would you recommend to somebody who is on that particular timeline where it's like, okay, you know, I'm, 
I'm done with this huge part of my life. And it's like, I, I feel like all this momentum just now has stopped and, you know, they kind of, obviously it's easy to kind of get depressed or dist- distracted or maybe aimless, you know? So how do we create purpose and get out of that trap? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great description because so much of our identity is tied to our profession and job and take that job away. And we have to start to ask, well, what's left? You know, I, yeah. I was such a, you know, a brilliant accountant and here I am. So, you know, I, I've written a lot about um, new scripts, new characters, taking on a new role. And I think mm, I like that's that. absolutely necessary. The first, first of all, though, we have to remember that our worth and value has nothing to do with what we've accomplished or how successful we are, or how wealthy we are, or how healthy we are. Our worth is intrinsic. It doesn't matter about these external circumstances. So to take our successful career away doesn't diminish our worth, doesn't make us less of a person, doesn't reduce our self-esteem. And I think it's always a trap when we teach you know, kids about being successful in school, you're, so you're so you're really important, and it's a trap because um, you know our worth has nothing to do with what we accomplish. Anyway, it's the same for adults. We take away these accomplishments, and you know, there's still the body there. There's still the essence that doesn't change. So it's that person, you know, I, I think needs to open some new doors and find some new ways. And we talked about. Gee, years ago, we would talk about, you know, our our life cycle is not a straight line anymore. It's it's ups and downs and new cycles and new skills and new careers and new pathways and new hobbies, new interests. And we can't, you know, that old model of work until 65 and retiring and playing golf and buying a rec fee. And that's fine. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but there are other options. There are other options. And we now, I mean, AARP is now saying we spend, we're spending half of our lives over the age of 50. F. Wow. You know, so that's a lot of years left to, I call it opening new doors and seeing what else mm-hmm. is out there. Let's, let's take a look. Maybe go back to school. Maybe learning some new skills. Maybe, you know, learning a musical instrument or taking up some new hobbies. Volunteering. There's it's it really necessary. And I, I think I mentioned when you were on my show about the book by Twyla Tharp, the dancer and choreographer. Yeah. Probably close to 80, and she's still dancing and still teaching uh, dance. And she talks about how important it is to stay engaged. It's that nonstop engagement that is, in her opinion, that's the key to really being, you know, successful in our later years non-stop engagement. I think that's a great, you know, a great, um, great concept for people. So, you know, for the person that's retiring and losing that sense of purpose, got to find a new one. You know, we got to find some new things that bring joy to our lives, bring the sense of reward. And it's not necessarily work, but sometimes it is work, but it's purpose. And we need to, we always need that purpose. We always need some mission, something that gives us that sense of fulfillment. And we got to look for it because it doesn't come knocking on the door. 
Yeah. Something to wake up in the morning. I mean, otherwise it's uh it's so easy for the mind to run away on just uh, you know, stupid stuff. I mean, life is always full of things to make you upset, make you sad, make you aimless. I mean, there's just an endless list every day. There's always something. Always and something. I think That's that the the old way yeah, the way we anchor against that or we hedge against it is really we have to intentionally embrace life and create a purpose. I remember I had a friend who I mean I still we're still friends. I haven't mm-hmm. seen her in a little while, but she has a, an art gallery here in town. And I remember um, going to the art gallery to, when she was opening it to just check it out. And she has two artists there. I don't know what they've been up to lately, but when I went, this was like maybe a, a year or two ago or something. And she was telling me they're like in their mid eighties. Uh-huh. You know, and they're they're. I mean, you should see some of the stuff that these guys are making. I mean, they're making like, huge, you know, metal sculptures and, you know, mm. paintings yeah. and all this kind of stuff. I was like, wow, that is so cool. I really, really like that. You know, and yeah. one of them I think started when he was 60, you know, so that was, that was uh, even the cooler part. It's like, oh, wow, you've uh, been doing this for 20 yeah. years, which is a long, like you said, there's so much time, Yeah. you know, there's so much time. And that yeah. to me is the biggest thing about living longer is like, you know, that's, that, to me, that's the biggest shame, honestly, with growing old as we are doing it as a society now in the sense that our elders are the most one of the most valuable resources we have because you gain experience i mean you get so much experience getting you know through all these different experiences you've been through failures you know uh repetition i mean the things like if you're a a craftsman of some kind or any kind of situation where you have to develop a skill i mean by the time you've put in 30, 40, 50 years, you're just an artist at it, in my opinion, as long as you continually enjoy what you're doing. And so it's a real shame to see that just kind of go out the window. To me, that's like you're the peak of your career, you know, like that's when you should be giving the most. And so a lot of times I think because we lose, you know, sort of ourselves because our body degenerates, obviously, and we don't take care of our body, those ripe years that are so valuable, they just kind of, disappear, which is a real shame. So that's the thing to me is really about healthy aging is to be able to, how much more would society benefit if seniors and people who are, you know, really old, like in their eighties, nineties, that they were really healthy and they could contribute to the, to the level that they can, you know, that's, that's a huge thing. You know I mean? That's, you can't even calculate that. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine people uh, that, you know, were so successful and continue working for another 10 or 20 or 30 years, and I, oh, I always advocate, you know, don't don't retire. You know, if you like your job and you got good social connections and you feel like you're really contributing, you know, maybe go to part-time if you don't want to work full-time, but don't, you know, don't give that up because that's that's hard to find. You know, it's hard to find. So um, I admire these people that are taking on new careers <laughs> in their 60s, like becoming an artist. I mean, I, I don't know if I mentioned, but I bought a set of drums a few months ago. I've never oh, really? played any instrument. <laughs> nice. I bought a set of electronic drums. And, you know, they're, they're just like acoustic drums, but you don't hear it unless you're wearing a headset or you can plug speakers yeah, in. Yeah, they're cool. So, and you can you set know, different I, sounds, too. Different sounds. I mean, they sound so authentic. And I, I, you know, I'll do that 30 or 40 minutes after dinner, and I just love it. I just love nice. it. I take got lessons, got the, you know, the laptop set up in front and I just watch the you know the cues come across the screen and try to match it but it's great and I've never played any musical and so I've never been musical but why not I'll try it 
I don't think I'm going to be in a rock band yeah. anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know. You know what? I, I mean, know. it's uh, yeah. you never know. You might just by just by doing that, you might invite opportunities into your life. You know, you really never sure. know. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I was in a band. I never thought I'd be in a band in in school. I mean, I was playing the piano for many years before that, but I just ended up uh, forming a band with my friends. I had no intention of ever being in a band, and it just kind of happened. So, but music really? is good. I think everybody should. I yeah. think everybody should have a musical instrument that they are exploring, that they're having fun with. I think music is such an important music and dancing. I mean, they're so good for your mind uh, and your body. That whole mind body connection that we've talked about before too, is just having yeah. that integration between your, your physical body and also your mental creative body. I think that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and there's a lightness and a freedom that comes with it too. It's hard to connect to yeah. in other other areas of life. Yeah, yeah. Well, any kind of you know hobby like that. That you know, I had a motorcycle for a while, and I you know I'd get out on the motorcycle and I'd just feel completely free, and you know s- stress would kind of melt away. And you know, you're so focused on what you're doing, you can't you don't have time to you know think about things or worry about things. You know, at least on long rides, I would take long rides up the coast. So yeah, that was great. But you're right, but you gotta connect connect with those physical things too. What what's been some of your biggest lessons from going through life? I mean, what's uh, you know, especially you've worked a lot with people, um, like you said, in in the nursing homes and where they're at the end of their journey, so to speak. And so, um, I'm curious, what has been some of your mm-hmm own personal lessons mm, yeah. from your own journey? Good question. Yeah, something I I, uh, I I would always tell myself, and I still do, is, you know, we are going to get knocked down. You know, whatever whatever we're trying, it's, it's not going to be correct on the first pass. And I used to um, have a group of mental health professionals, and we would build Medicare for these services because they were medically necessary services. So Medicare was our big payer. And, you know, they'd get denied or, you know, there'd be questions about it. Was this really necessary? You know, you get knocked down and you say, geez, how am I going to ever stay at it? Anyway, it's like getting knocked down on the mat and you're in a boxing ring and you got to get up off the mat. You just got to get up because you can say I'm done or I'm, you know, this is a failure, but that's just a mental thing, whatever, however we explain it. Failure is a mental thing. It's that tenacity that that's really essential. And it's getting up off the mat. We might be bruised and might have some, you know, black eye, but we get back in the rings. And you know, we never avoid that. It, it never goes away. We'll always have that that kind of fight ahead of us. Yeah, there are always exceptions. People that kind of cruise and they never fail and they never trip up, but that's rare. That's rare. And you hear about all the people that, you know, kept losing or, you know, how many failures they had in business. You know, Elon Musk just recently, SpaceX, he's got these rocket ships and sent up three ships and within a matter of six months or a year and they all exploded, right? you know failures and the fourth one just went up last month and it was successful and it made it to the space station i mean 
you know, he could have said, oh, geez, I'm not very good at this rocket stuff. And he could have stopped. But it's that tenacity and perseverance, you know. Um, people that have tenacity and perseverance make it. That's what I've learned. They make it. Mm. It's not easy, but but they make it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I go on and on. A lot of things, you know, a lot of it is... Um, <clears throat> We're not alone. You know, we might think we're alone. We might think that there's nobody like us and I'm so different or so strange. And, um, you know, we're all different, but that's what makes us the same. I think, if you know what I mean, you know, we all have our unique qualities and strengths and weaknesses, but that's what makes us all the same. So, um, you know, being a psychologist, you know, especially working with seniors, um, I've, I've learned a lot from them. You know, I've learned a lot. I always feel like I've learned as much from the senior clients as I, you know, was able to help them. So it's um, there's something something's been very rich about this. You know, a lot of experiences over the years. I was a cab driver in New York. I uh, worked at a catering company in New York, and um, you know, I sold shirts at a large department store. <laughs> it's all we all have these you know, life stories. Um, I imported antiques from the Pennsylvania Dutch country to New York City for a few years. That was wow. a trip. Yeah. But, um, what was yeah. Uh, what was your, any antiques that you can remember that were pretty cool that you have in your Oh, mind? you know, the big ones were the roll-top desks. They would have these massive oak roll-top desks and they were like wow. 500 pounds and you could barely move in the brass beds. And, you know, those were, those were big. Those are big. And I don't know why there were so many in the Amish country and Pennsylvania, but there were a lot there. So that was fun. Yeah. That's funny. I have a friend who, uh, actually two friends who basically now they have a, I would say pretty successful business, basically, uh, selling razors and razor accessories, you know, like leather goods and things like that. But it also started uh, in college. They would go to, just different places like in Colorado, California, and they would just go to antique stores and get these old Gillette razors and then, oh. you know, refurbish them, you know, and then oh. I guess there was a market for that, you know? And so eventually, uh, you know, they started a company. So it's just so funny uh, how something can transform, you know, going back to the whole life purpose thing, you know, you never know where one thing will lead you. You know, I think we all have these different experiences that are kind of like breadcrumbs to the next, you yeah. know, piece of the puzzle yeah. in our life. And like you said, as long as you're persistent, which is very, very important, it's such an important uh, skill and value, then then the next breadcrumb will come. I believe that, yeah. you know. You're right. We don't know what's down the hall. We, we go down the hall and we can take, take our turn down any corridor and who knows what's down there. Yeah. I love those yeah. stories about people kind of starting a little niche business and then it kind of grows because there's some <laughs> value in it. That's great. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. I mean, I remember they would invite me in, in co- this was in college. I mean, this was like, I don't know, what, 15, 16 years ago or something. They would invite me to go on the road trips to go to antiques and, you know, collect antiques. I'm like, <laughs> okay, oh, <great>. <laughs> whatever, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. You know, and I didn't really think much of it. And, you know, I, my friend now is like a, you know, six figure business doing. Yeah, there you go. I mean, he has there a whole, go. I mean, I went to his, he's in downtown. He's got a whole, um, you know, operation there where they, they do plating for these different uh, types of razors. And he's got his wow. own model now that he sells all retro, 
you know, retro, like 1950s, 60s style. I mean, it's really cool. Yeah. I'm like, wow, this is, that's, isn't that funny how it all just kind of happened? So, yeah. You just don't know. I mean, you just don't know what's what's going to be the yeah, you never magic. Do. Yeah. yeah. If you could pick three things that people should do to keep themselves healthy, healthy mind, healthy aging, what would be three suggestions? Mm. Yeah. Well, number one is uh, stay with the positives. You know, we can we can dwell on the negatives all day long. There's always going to be something wrong. It's never enough. There's, you know, disappointed or um, something going wrong. But you got to look for the positives, and that's that's crucial. And I don't know if I shared this exercise, but when I talk to a large groups, sometimes I'll just to show them the difference between positive and negative thinking. I'll divide the room in half, and I want the, the left half to look around the room and find everything that's wrong with it. You know that paint peeling or stains on the floor or dust or wow. whatever marks on the walls. Look, Just look around. And then the other half, the right side of the room, I want you to look around and find everything that's good. Maybe the fixtures or the sunlight coming in or the plants or, you know, the bright colors, whatever it is. And then we'll go back and forth and share and people on one side will tell me what they saw and people on the other. But my point is, it's the same room. Mm-hmm. What are you looking for in the room? You're looking for a negative, or you're looking for a positive, but it's the same room. So just like is the half is the glass half full or half empty? Well, an eight ounce glass with four ounces of water is both half full and half empty. It's the same glass. You decide. Mm. You know, you decide. So that's uh, that to me, that's that's number one. And um three things. Um yeah. Um, how do we interpret these events? You know, the Greek philosopher Epictetus said, we're disturbed not by events, but by the views we take of these events. Yeah. So how do we explain something that's going wrong and, you know, a stroke or a fall or I can't drive anymore or a spouse dies? How do we explain these events? And that's what, that's what helps us to either succeed or fail going forward. Um, yeah, that's two. Um, three. Yeah, understanding what we can control and what we can't control. Mm. You know, people worry a lot about things they have no control over. That worry drives us up the wall sometimes. Yeah. You know, um, there are things we can't control, like our thoughts, our feelings, our attitude, our values, um, you know, how we communicate. We cannot control the weather. We can't control, you know, the stock market. We can't control politics for the most part. There are a lot of things we can't control. So stop worrying about the things we can't control. And let's worry about what we can control. And that's put our energy into those things. That's that's better than, you know, wasting our energy on, oh, no, what happens if, you know, we get a forest fire next week, you know. Um, so that's a, that's a big one. What can we control and what can we not control? Because um, worrying about things that we have control over, like our values and judgments and attitudes, that's where we get the most uh, payoff. Yeah. 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 I love that exercise with the room. It's, uh, it's so cool. It reminds me actually of a study that I read when I wrote my first book, uh, The Gratitude Map. I, mm-hmm. had a, I had a 
section at the end of the book called the science of gratitude. Cause I wanted to just look at some research, oh. you know, for, for gratitude and, um, yeah, it wasn't by any means an exhaustive, uh, review of the research, but I had some cool studies in there on motivation and productivity and, and health and all these different things and how gratitude actually very interesting. I mean, I'm not surprised. I don't need science to, to believe in the benefits of gratitude, but it is interesting nonetheless to, to look at these things. And for example, there was a study that was very similar to your exercise where they, they took, um, I think like two groups, it was like three groups cause they, they had to control and the control was just sort of basically, um, you know, just write down things that happen, you know, or like enumerate your day. But then you had sort of the negative group where it was like, all right, you know, I want you to make a list every day of everything that went wrong in your life. You know, mm-hmm. just, I'm like, man, they had to really debrief these people after the study, I'm sure. But then uh, obviously they had the the list of people doing the, the positivity and the gratitude. And they actually noticed a big difference in their productivity, meaning how much they're doing every day but also with their workout, their workout schedules, which is very, very important because some of these people, basically they were very focused on, you know, the world is coming apart and life sucks. I mean, they were less motivated to go to the gym and work out that obviously slowed them down. And so they get, you know, so you get in this like downward spiral, uh, you know, of, of basically inaction. And so that was very profound for me because it's like, wow, you know, just simply focusing on the negative, has so many uh, repercussions in terms of your behavior, right? Because your yeah, thoughts determine yeah. your actions, your actions create yeah. habits, you know, and so on. And so you have to be very yeah. vigilant about what you are thinking every day because it'll very much spiral into a new set of habits and destructive habits if you don't uh, chaperone those thoughts every day, right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. It does have, and we don't even know it sometimes that these yeah. are weighing us down. They're, you know, kind of way back and we don't know, but that, that that kind of experience of reconnecting with all the wrongs. Yeah, that's a heavy weight. Here's a, a great study you'll love, Tudor. Um, it's called the Baseball Card Study. Maybe you've heard of it. But uh, some researchers took a look at baseball cards of baseball players in the 1950s and 60s, right? And they divided them into two groups, all the guys that had smiles in the picture and those that did not have smiles. Mm-hmm. Two groups. And then they followed them or they looked at how long they lived. And the people with smiles lived an average of seven seven years longer. Wow. Without smiles. Wow. Maybe I you have nothing not to do know with about it. that study. Maybe you know, <laughs> but they, you know there's some connection somewhere, right? Maybe That's it's fascinating. Their attitude or the way they roll with the you know the punches. Mm. Those, yeah. Wow. Seven years on average. Yeah. How many how many cards were there total? Oh, they had hundreds. Example? Hundreds. hundreds yeah. Wow. Look it, up. You'll, you'll look it up on the internet. Baseball card study. That is yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, our attitude and you know what we're closest to. That's why the gratitude and kindness is is so important. The other thing I'm I just came across today as I'm writing my newsletter. This guy talked about um, things that really make you feel you know stronger well-being is you you've got these character strengths we all have some character strengths wisdom creativity compassion compliance um so the researchers have found well it's not what they found but the recommendation is we recognize what our character strengths are and we pick our top five strengths and we make a decision 
to use one of these character strengths every day, mm. five days in a row. Every week, we use one of these, whatever it is, bravery, creativity, but we use one of these strengths every day. And that builds that uh, stronger sense of well-being for people. I, I never heard that. And to me, That's it's good. It's so obvious, but it's uh, it's it's kind of staying connected to the good things, right? Yeah. How do you, I mean, for people that are kind of, because one limiting belief I've seen, you know, as we get older and um, especially after retirement and things like that is, oh, well, I'm just too old. You know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, you know, that kind of thing. Like I, um, you know, they're afraid of change, you know, any kind of whatever. And I don't believe in that. I feel that we're always capable of learning if we want to learn. So how do you, you know, um, I mean, how do you address that? How do you deal with that? Well, let's say it's our comfort zone. You know, comfort zone is a nice place. It's familiar. It's predictable. In a lot of cases, it's safe. We don't have to try anything different. Don't take a different route. Don't try different restaurants. Don't wear different. <laughs> I'm comfortable with what I have and get out of my, leave me alone. Well, that's fine. You know, I can't take it away from people, but. Sometimes it um, it robs us of those new experiences that might be much more rewarding than what we're familiar with. And a lot of it is, you know, just kind of protective. I don't want to, you know, take a different whatever just because I don't, I can't handle, you know, surprises or rejection or you know bad reactions. So there's a there's a certain protective element there. Um, somebody says, "Look, I don't want to learn anything new. I, I'm, I'm content. Don't, you know, I'm, 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 I'm good with, you know, I, I make my own meals. So I got three favorite things I eat, and that's all I eat. Oh, that's fine. But, you know, try, try something. There, there's always a, there's always an exception. And I, and I would talk about this with patients in a nursing home sometimes when they were very depressed. It's like all they could see was." everything that was wrong, right? All they could see was the disappointments, the failures, uh, the bad food, the the bad nurses. (laughs) And it's like, um, they didn't care about anything new. And I said, you know, is there just one thing? Can we talk about, can we find one thing that's, that's good? One thing that's positive in your day. And this one gal said, not a gal, she's an older woman. She said, well, I noticed the guy who comes in, the maintenance man is very nice to me. And to me, once you find that exception, mm. there's room for more. Yeah. There's room for more. So you build on that exception. It's like, this is how we see the whole picture instead of everything. That's, that's good. I like that. Wrong. Yeah. It's like, yeah, find so- that one thing and make it a seed for everything else rather than trying to force yourself to maybe find a ton of good things. That's right. Yeah. Don't look for, yeah, it's just one thing. And as long as you can find one thing, you know, there's more. Mm, Yeah. That's good. Yeah. 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 So, you know, happy to share these, these thoughts, these insights. I, I love talking about this stuff, you know, um, I'm reminded of this guy and he was a, a TV reporter in, um, in Europe somewhere. Oh, Holland. Yeah, Dutch. 
and um, he was like 68 or 69. And uh, he was very unhappy being that age. He, he went to court to try to change his age. <laughs> and I'm 68, 69. I can't get dates. I can't, you know, I can't get a loan to buy a new car. Um, I'm limited with this and that. And I want to change my age to 48 instead of 68. Um, and of course, the, the court said, no, you can't change your age. Right. <laughs> it's going to mess up all the records in our system. So you can change your belief about how old you are, but you cannot change the actual number. So it's that, that mindset about, you know, he can act 48. He doesn't have to be yeah. 48 to act 48. There's a That's lot of beauty funny. in our, you know, our just kind of throwing out those cobwebs, getting rid of those, all that mental clutter and seeing else what, you know, it's just amazing amount of opportunity out there. Yeah. yeah I always think that the mind is like a room, you know, inside your mind and, and the, the walls are obviously empty. It's a space for you to hang pictures on. And if you fill those walls up with, with pictures of dread and cobwebs and, mm -hmm you know, everything else, uh, you know, that's what you're going to be looking at. But of course you can take them down at any point in time and put some new pictures up. You can always put something new. Always our projection. I that's believe right. that. Yeah. 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 Cool, buddy. Well, one more question for you. What are you most grateful for today? Um, being alive and, um, having a good head on my shoulders. That's what I'm most grateful for. You know, yeah. um, I can think clearly, I can read, I can write, I can do do some good things. That's what I'm really grateful for. Yeah. And I do, I, I am grateful for that. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with my friend, Dr. Joe. You know, time moves forward. And what that means really is that aging will forever be a component of our lives. It doesn't matter what age you are. I remember when we were in elementary school and suddenly you had to go to high school and, and all these new considerations came up and, uh, you know, you, you feel a, a different, you feel a different age, obviously, because you have different responsibilities. And that transition, that sense of going from one set of identities maybe to another is happening throughout our lives right so this type of information wasn't just for people who are retired or who are looking to be retired you know we have these different crises <laughs> throughout our lives especially now because there's so many ways to do things um, you know things aren't as clear anymore so there's a lot more paths to the same outcome and so because of that, you know, we have a lot more options, a lot more chances to get distracted. And we have a lot more midlife crises, quarter life crises, you know, three fourth life crises, whatever you want to label it. But there's so many different times that we are confronted with the inevitable, which is change in time. And so how you deal with that, how you age, how it all plays out in your life is really, I think, starts with the mind. So I hope today's episode really gave you some tools to explore that for yourself and no matter where you go and what you do, remember the basics are always part of it and it is a practice. Let's not forget to connect with Dr. Joe. If you want to check him out, it's living2100.club and that's 100 as in the number. And I'll put that link again, it's episode 2, 
61. Put it on the pod, uh, on the show notes for the podcast. You can go and access all the show notes at danceoflife.com slash podcast. Epictetus, good old Greek philosopher, taking it away for us today. It's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. Men are disturbed not by things, but by the view which they take of them. You know, I always think and thought that the ancient Greeks had it. You know, they had it figured out. I was always such a big fan of Socrates and Aristotle and, um, you know, Plato. Uh, so many wonderful thinkers. So many. I mean, it's just really the foundation of society pretty much. And it's really quite fascinating because some of these things, they never change. You know, we think we're so smart and so clever and all the things we've discovered and with our technology. But really, you look at some of the stuff that they were talking about thousands of years ago and they had it figured out. And so really, there isn't anything new to invent here. You know, I hope that that's something that you've discovered in your own life, that the real things that matter are not something you need to chase or find or all these. They're already there. They're just waiting for you to discover them. And once you discover them, it's about practice and creating a practice around, you know, in this case, for example, men are disturbed not by things, but by the view which they take of them. We are not disturbed by the things that happen. We are disturbed by our interpretation of the things that happen. And when you can get that and really practice that, it is a lifelong practice. It never gets super easy, but I I would say maybe it gets a little easier. Uh, It is a lifelong practice. So when you can embrace that, that's when things change. And the same thing is with aging. You know, what your opinion is, how you feel about your age is where you should start. Because a lot of times, you know, I've known people that are very elderly, but they're very young at heart. They still think they're a teenager or a 20 year old. And they, you know, uh, they live life to the fullest, to the most that their body will let them. And that's that's what it's really about. So it starts with the mind, starts with internally, starts with your own beliefs. That's really the core of everything and creating a practice around those beliefs. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. We'll see you on Tuesday for a little Transformation Tuesday. And don't forget, your life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.